Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Laurie Rose, the two-time winner, takes the lead from Faulkner. That's the way they finish the first lap. Realizing that Davison had to get to his pit box. Very, very lucky for those crew guys. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Matt joins me and joining us to review everything that happened this weekend at Barber Motorsports Park and, and talk a little bit about St. Pete and make some predictions is from the race is Jack Benyon. So Jack, thanks for thanks for joining. And let's put you on the start right at the at the top instead of asking Matt first. What did you think of the first race of the year? It's a bit boring, really. Not much happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, do you know what? First of all, I'm going to say the one thing I don't like about coming on your podcast is I don't get to hear the music before I start talking to you guys. <laughs> I think you should simulate that for me every time I come on so that I'm more like G'd up for when you start asking me questions about okay, stuff. Okay, I, I got it. That's, that'd be really cool. I will, uh, yeah, listen, we'll have to work out the finer details of that contract, but I think we can, <laughs> I think we can work something out. Yeah, do you know what? I, I really enjoyed Barber because it's not a track that is particularly known for overtaking. Um, it's got to be, you know, if you're watching an onboard, if you're doing it on a sim or something like that, it's got to be, you know, one of the best tracks to to have a go at. Definitely in North America, I'd say. But um, yeah, just the the racing that it creates. If you, I don't know if anyone watched any of the Indy Lights races, but yeah. they were interesting in their own way. But overtaking was was really tough. And uh, after watching Indy Lights race, I was kind of, you know, intrigued as to how the Indy car race was going to go. But as soon as you started to see things in practice. Um, you know, especially second practice when we got to see the the reds and the blacks, it was it was obvious that there was going to be a, a big difference between so the sort of overlapping of the tires when they were going to come in and how long they were going to take to get up to speed, which was going to make things really interesting. And and to be honest, that early caution period just uh, created a bit of a perfect storm for making you know pretty much the perfect barber race because we got people working out that two stop was possible and you know that was going to be uh, the optimal strategy. And then obviously the people that committed to the to the three stop as well and some of them made it work some of them didn't so yeah just a load of varying strategies and load of epic storylines to be honest it could have been the worst race ever but the number of storylines coming into the season was so so big that you know it was always going to be interesting to see how they all played out yeah uh i will let matt answer that question right away yeah Jack, thanks for joining appreciate your time yeah i'm gonna have to admit i'm gonna be wrong several times or in some of my past predictions one of those was a couple of weeks ago. I, I was a little hesitant about the first race being at Barber because uh, like you said, it's not the, it's not known for some of the best races we've ever had. Uh, but there was a lot of intrigue with this race on Sunday. I thought the strategy was really cool. Um, that 
first lap crash, which we'll talk about in a second, had huge ramifications, not only for the race itself, obviously, but, you know, looking at the championship, there was a couple key players involved in that one way or another. So uh, that was critical to the outcome of the race too. So it was a, it was a fun race. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Hats off to Alex for his first career win, um, which is, I guess it'll tee myself off for the, uh, second, uh, I suck moment, uh, because he, I mean, it's only one race. There's still a lot of time for chip to fire him for irrational reasons, but, uh, my prediction of him suffering is not going well so far. So I'm happy he's proven me wrong though. Cause I don't like to cheer against anybody. Uh, and he conducted himself very well and drove a hell of a race. So congrats to him. And it was, yeah, it was a, it was a good showing for IndyCar as a whole. Yeah. I really was thoroughly intrigued by the two stop versus three stop strategy on which one was going to work in the long run. And I thought Pato and Rossi played it right, but maybe pitted a couple laps early. And in the end, I was wrong. And, and before we move on to Jack's points, the Indy lights races were, really interesting because like first and second place were pretty much like a mile ahead each race but the third through seventh or eighth ish place battles both races were fantastic so those those were some good good races and i think had some championship implications of their own because kyle kirkwood didn't particularly have the best weekend there but matt you alluded to it lap one was a massive crash joseph newgarden Colton Herta was involved. Ryan Hunter Ray was involved. Max Chilton has some damage. Jimmy Johnson just skated through. There's probably six or seven other guys that just snuck through there. So I don't know who wants to go first, but maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, Matt, you can leave this off. What do you think? It could New Garden have done anything to prevent the at least spinning back onto traffic like that? Um, no, I think that was kind of just a circumstance of the situation. I don't necessarily fault him for where he ended up, but it was a really elementary error and not one that we would expect from, what is he, two-time champion? Two-time champion, yeah. Joseph Newgarden. I mean, gosh, that's, that's it's never good to spin within like the first five turns at any track, regardless where we go. We're talking like, you know, this was St. Pete, it would be a track blocker. If this was, you know, the first 15 seconds of Indianapolis, obviously it would be mayhem. But at Barber, with that turn, uphill blind corner onto a pretty fast straight, like that is pretty much worst case scenario when I kind of take a look at the calendar as far as worst places to have an accident right away in the race, especially with where he ended up, which was middle of the track. So I, I can't fathom how that happened. I mean, I know it was just a mistake and, you know, mistakes going to happen in racing, but it's just, he's not the guy. I mean, Grosjean started pretty close to him. I would expect that from Grosjean, Jack Harvey, maybe because it's only his fourth season and second full-time season, but Joseph Newgarden, that's not the guy I would peg to have that happen. So it was really a rookie error almost. Um, like I said earlier, huge ramifications in the championship because he should be a protagonist and gosh, I just couldn't believe it. And I'm glad everybody was safe because, you know, we saw Ryan Hunter Ray share his video today. That arrow screen is proving it's worth again. Um, so I'm really glad everybody got out safe. Rosenquist kind of got lucky too, or, you know, he landed thankfully within the the barriers just on all fours because he got some air. So it's just like, yeah, 
I don't know what really else to say other than, you know, mistakes happen, but it's just a, a terrible one to have. Yeah, not much to add, to be honest. I think, um, you know, we we kind of see Joseph Nugon as this kind of, you know, Captain America type character who just doesn't really do anything wrong and is quite superhuman and appears to be, you know, above all errors. But uh, I think we saw that last year, but this year, you know, he's he, he's dropped it in a place where pretty much anyone could drop it, really. I think, you know, these guys are uh, competing at such a high level and, you know, we we just expect some things to be automatic and, but these guys expect things to be automatic too. And sometimes these little uh, errors just happen. And, you know, there's, there's, there's literally no driver in the world of uh, any varying ability who's, you know, never made a mistake. I think, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate where it happened. And um, I think he had a good car and I think he was better than where he qualified for sure. Um, I th- obviously the most successful driver ever at Barber and IndyCar. So the, he was definitely going to be a factor later on, especially seeing willpower's pace. But yeah, I think, um, you know, at some point, you know, I think it's fair to criticize him for the error, but at some point you also have to say that, you know, if we look at the Imola Formula One race, for example, you know, Lewis Hamilton made a, you know, a pretty, uh, a pretty stupid mistake that, that you would probably, you know, lambast a rookie for, um, during that race. And, you know, you know, are you going to sit here and condemn him to not being worthy of racing in F1 anymore? No, of course you're not. You know, it's just, it's just one of them things. It's, it's fair to criticize and, we're, we're right to do so. But at the same time, you know, uh, I count that on the one hand of number of mistakes I can remember Joseph Newgarden making since his first championship. Man, I don't know. Jack, uh, do you do you check Twitter every now and then? I'm pretty sure Joseph was <laughs> probably being called like the spawn of Satan or something for his, his role in that. I, I don't tend to sort of <laughs> engage in that kind of stupid sort of insight really on Twitter. It's not how, really... Uh, how refreshing is that? <laughs> I have Twitter and I follow uh, obviously follow the drivers and, and the people that I kind of respect within the industry but for me it's you know it's interesting to know what what readers think and especially you know working for a publication where you post things regularly uh, you obviously want to know what the readers think and interpret that as best as possible and obviously use it to improve your work and you know hopefully um, appeal to more people but at the same time you know there's certain things on the on the internet that we all know you just have to kind of put in a dark corner and leave them there yeah, there was somebody who replied, and I don't remember what social media it was on. It's probably Twitter because that's pretty much the one I'm on during the race that compared Jimmy Johnson to Nikita Mazepin's first two F1 starts. And I was so flabbergasted at how awful that take was that I was like, you know, I should, no, I shouldn't respond. And I had to like get up and just like step away from my computer for a couple minutes so I didn't type something silly in response. But yeah, the Twitter Twitter was a lot of fun yesterday, and it looked to me like three turns before he actually cla- crashed, Newgarden was already on on rails, and just yeah, it happens. It was a bad mistake, but uh, he's obviously still a good driver, and I'm sure in the end will be somewhat near the top in the championship, if if not contending for the championship. So I got a question for Jack before we move on that topic, just to touch on what he said. So does that mean we are not going to be seeing any New Garden is the Spawn of Satan articles coming out soon? (laughs) Well, you know, I I promise to listen to every single bit of feedback that we get. So if your feedback is that we should be saying that Joseph New Garden is the Spawn of Satan, then I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to totally dismiss you out of, uh, without investigating first. So, you know. All right. There you go, folks. I'll I'll ask Joseph next time I speak to him. 
Sorry. You've had him on the po- you've had him on the podcast before. Why don't you get him back on and, and find out? I'm I'm, I'm usually, working on uh, that. Yeah, we usually talk about cheese though. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Mike, I can lead you into the next question here. Yeah. Uh because you had mentioned uh Jimmy Johnson and somehow Nikita Matt has been made his way into our episode today, which is strange. Always always a fortunate topic. But uh Jimmy Johnson obviously made his debut. Uh, Roman Grosjean made his debut after a great qualifying effort, I might add. And while it wasn't his first start, it was Scott McLaughlin's opening race for his rookie campaign, per se. So kind of out of those three, I just was kind of, you know, Jack had mentioned some intriguing storylines for the season. Kind of wanted to get your thoughts on any or all of those drivers I just mentioned about their debuts on the season. I'll make it quick. Grosjean impressed. I think he, he pretty much didn't put a wheel wrong all weekend. And McLaughlin was was kind of quiet, but again, didn't make any mistakes. Brought home the car in what, P12 or P13. So solid weekend for him. Definitely impressed by Grosjean. And Jimmy Johnson, we kind of expected. I know, Matt, you and I have said this the last handful of weeks to not expect too much from Jimmy Johnson. Listen, he brought the car home in one piece, saved it when he spun, which was pretty impressive. So, all in all, I'm I, I think all a comp all pretty much did exactly what we expected, and I'd say Grosjean outperformed expectations by a handful of places. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think you're right to um, yeah, I think you're right to point out that Jimmy's going to need some some bedding in time, and you know we have to remember he came into this weekend with five days in the car and without any single seat year experience really in his career up until, um, you know, his, his Formula 1 test, really. So uh, I, I definitely tempered expectations for him. And, you know, I, I was equally impressed and disappointed in, in various ways, to be honest. But I think, you know, if we if we kind of look at his onboard, um, you know, the biggest area he's, he's losing out is he's, he's not getting on the power quick enough coming out of the corner. And, you know, I think that's... I think that's where, you know, a lot of these guys who know the cars inside out, you know, when they apply the throttle, they know exactly what the car's going to do and where it's going to do it and how to respond to it immediately. So they're all, they're almost pre-correcting, if that makes any sense, in, in in the fact that they know where the car's going to go and they're already starting to put their steering input in to correct what they know is about to happen. Whereas Jimmy just doesn't have that experience with the car. So, you know, I think... There were some really critical people on, on Twitter of his performance. And yeah, do you know what? He was he was two laps down and in 19th. You know, I would have liked to see him finish a, a little bit better than that. But looking at his onboard, there was nothing fundamental wrong with his driving. And it's it's all about confidence for him. And as he starts to learn how the car reacts, um, once he starts to pick up the throttle quicker, he's going to be a lot closer to these guys. And, you know, I think and any of you guys know um, where Alex Plow was in terms of his fastest lap of the race, where he ranked? Not first. Oh. I know that. As I was say, I'm guessing it's probably like 13th, 16th. Oh, <laughs> 13th he was. And, you know, I think you, you've got to apply context here. Obviously, Alex was doing well, was saving fuel for most of the race. So uh, at no point was he really properly let off the leash. And we saw O'Ward do a 168. So, um, you know, the, the, the pace was a lot higher than where Jimmy was at. But he wasn't a million miles away from sort of live race pace, which I think is, you know, encouraging for, for his fans moving forward. And I think. You know, we've just got to be totally realistic about the whole situation. And, you know, again, similar to, um, you know, the crash with, with Joseph, you know, we're well within our right to, to be critical of the situation. And we would like to see Jimmy be a lot quicker, but, you know, fundamentally he, he doesn't have the experience. He doesn't have the familiarity with the car. And, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's 
having fun, enjoying himself. And, you know, he's going to build up to the pace at his, his speed. So looking forward to see how he adapts after, you know, a few more races. I don't think he's a million miles away. He's actually a bit closer in terms of lap time than I expected, but it's just putting all those things together. And, you know, you mentioned Roman. I think, um, you know, this weekend was really important because it was the, the, the pretty much one of the only times this season it's going to be an equal setting in qualifying where, you know, the, the track had been resurfaced since all of the other guys had, had been there. So it was the first time for everyone on that surface on the red tire. So it was really important, you know, quite an even playing field in, in some respects for Roman to try and, you know, have a really good qualifying performance. And he obviously delivered that and put it in the top 10. So that was the most impressive part for me was the qualifying because it was so important. There was so much riding on that for, for his result in the race. And obviously he dropped back. Um, I think most of that was his, um, you know, in and out laps weren't quite where they needed to be in terms of the the competition. And he got caught in traffic a few times. Um, but apart from that, I think the crew did well. They kind of coached him through the race really well. And uh, I think he's built up a really good relationship with that team. And it's a bit of a, a family atmosphere. So I, I think he's really enjoying himself there. And uh, I think he, I think he delivered a, a performance anyone would be uh, impressed with. And then, you know, Scott McLaughlin was just a victim of his strategy really, and should have been a little bit higher up. I think he was a top 10 car all day, really on pace, to be honest. And, you know, could have, could have well been there, but then you could probably say that about five other cars. So it's the, you know, it's the nature of IndyCar racing and how close the, the strategies play out. Yeah. I, I mean, it's only one week, but I hope we, I hope we can keep Roman forever. Uh, I mean, between not only like obviously what he did on the track, but on social media, obviously he has a, a very big following and he's embracing it so well, this transition, you know, doing a lot of videos and visor cams and things like that. And really kind of promoting where he is at and what he's doing. And I really appreciate that. And, uh, you know, he's, he's ticking all the boxes for me. So I really hope, you know, obviously we know what happened last season. I really hope maybe he just gets a chance to run gateway too. Uh, maybe get a little comfortable on the ovals and then try the full schedule next year. But obviously just having for the road courses too, is, is great. And I was really impressed with what he did this weekend. Um, not to throw too much shade, but you know, he outperformed Ed Jones and I can go back and watch the broadcast, but I'm not sure Ed Jones's name got mentioned once the whole day. <laughs> And I don't think so so either, but it's kind of just like a mad day from him. And then Grosjean and his opening race was kind of consistently faster than him everywhere. So not Jones's best day, Jimmy, you know, obviously Ganassi was incredibly strong and I do think it's a bit unfair for kind of the internet warriors to expect Jimmy to be, you know, contending for top tens at this point. Um, I thought for what he needed to do, he brought the car home in one piece. And, you know, as Jack said, there, there's obviously areas for him to work on if you analyze the telemetry and whatnot, but this is a process. I think he said himself, he only got six to 700 laps before the season in an actual car, not like simulator or anything like that. So it's a process. It's just going to take some time. I think uh, if we're getting towards like maybe the end of the season and he's still you know, two seconds off the pace or whatever, maybe we can start speculating, but I still think he gets a long leash and no, he's not Nikita Mazepin. Thank you. Yeah. McLaughlin. uh, I did. I mean, it's just because he has so much hype around him. You know, with Johnson, everybody's kind of like, you know, yes, he's a seven time champion, but you know, it's going to take him some time. 
with McLaughlin, I he just has this like aura around him that he's just going to be this knockout rookie, blah, blah, blah. And again, only one race, still a lot of ways to go. I was just kind of expecting a little more. Um, he was kind of lingering with Pagano all day, and I did have the preseason take that uh, he was going to finish ahead of Pagano in the, in the standings. So still a lot of time to go, but I was at least expecting kind of like a low top 10. So he wasn't too far off, but he was also kind of just in the background all day and kind of for, for most of the weekend. So I'll be interested to see if that's a trend or if this was just kind of like a one-off or, or what, what's going on there. I mean, he's been to St. Petersburg, so that should help with some familiarity, but um, given with the, the Penske equipment, the data and the knowledge that comes with that, I'm expecting him to hit the ground running a little more than Grosjean and Johnson. So might be a little harsh on my part, but I, I will see if he trends upward for the rest of the season, we'll say. So speaking of team Penske, Will Power was the only team Penske driver to finish in the top 10. He had a great race in second. And then Andretti Autosport had a pretty subpar day. Rossi's three-stop didn't quite work to the way that they expected it to. Uh, Pato finished well ahead of him on the same strategy. And then Hinch may or may not, but probably got damaged on that lap one crash and kind of just was in the background all day. And then Hunter Ray and Herta were collected in that first lap crash, no fault of their own, nothing they could do. So they were both knocked out immediately. And then if we want to count Jack Harvey in there with the shank, Andretti Auto Support affiliation. He had an okay race, didn't do anything spectacular, but also was consistently fast and brought the car home in one piece. So, Jack, we'll start with you. Were you kind of surprised at uh, Team Penske and Andretti Auto Sport kind of having average to below average races as a whole? Yeah, for sure. Don't really know where to start with this, the answer to this one, but I guess uh, I'll start in a completely different place with Ganassi and you know, they were the probably the one team I had uh, quite severe kind of worries about for, for the season in the sense that, you know, they've done so much in the off-season in terms of adding another IndyCar entry after already adding another one year before. They've got the Extreme E program and joined IMSA as well with the prototype program. Um, obviously signed Alex, um, who's got a completely different driving style to, to Dixon and Ericsson. So there was just so much change there in the off-season that I was, you know, quite concerned about them and you know, we saw Andretti in the second half of last year were just on fire and looked awesome. So had no worries about them really coming into this year. I think the biggest thing with them was going to be how the Rossi-Herter relationship dynamic kind of played out. And obviously Herter was kind of the number one driver last year and whether that was going to continue and how, you know, I can't imagine Alexander Rossi being very happy about being a number two driver personally. So uh, I was kind of interested to see how, how that would play out. And then, you know, Penske obviously didn't win a, a 500 or a championship for the first time since... 2013 last year so although their season was amazing and new garden was phenomenal in defeat you know they still had a pretty bad year by their sort of you know their um usual kind of expectations but also they were the only team that had three drivers win a race on on their squad so you know i wasn't really worried about penske or andretti for those reasons but yeah just didn't didn't quite hook up for for any of them. Rossi's big problem was that he was uh, he couldn't get the tires in. So the 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 fresh sets of tires, he was really struggling to get them up to temperature and working in the right window. Whereas Pato was able to just do that immediately, and that's why he was able to move so far forward and in you know on that strategy. And I think obviously 
Herter and uh, Hunter A were caught up in, in the crash. And Hinch actually kind of below the radar in terms of uh, what a roller coaster race that was because he, you know, for me, committed an unforgivable crime of crashing and qualifying on the, on the black tires, which to me is just, you know, calamitous because he'd not even got on the red set, you know, it, uh, to me, it's, it's bizarre how you could crash on the, on the, on the black tires. And, um, I think I've, I've been critical of uh, enough of Hinch in, in that sense, but he bounced back amazingly in the race and made up so many positions at the start, but then stalled in his first pit stop. So that kind of negated all the advantage that they'd made up. So they didn't even have two cars in the top 10 in the end. I, th- I think Hinch would have been there or thereabouts if, if he hadn't had that stall and, um, you know, the, a few other little bits of issues with traffic through the race. So yeah, disappointing race for, for Andretti and kind of reflective of their 2020 as a whole, wasn't it really? Um, you know, one kind of mediocre performance and then two people caught up in a crash that wasn't their fault. And another person who kind of did things wrong and right and kind of didn't really nail everything together. So that was kind of a reflection of their 2020. So starting the year exactly how they didn't need to. Um, and then Penske just quickly, I guess, you know, power has been talking for years about how he needs to have a good start to the season. Um, obviously we're only one race in and when Powers saying he needs to have a good start to the season he's actually referring to you know three or four races because if you look back over the last five years or so he's had a win or a second or a third in you know in the first three races quite often it's been the being outside of the top 10 and outside of the top 20 in the next two races or you know along those lines that has, that has really hurt Power's start to the season so um, you know the second really helps his um, you know will, will help him mentally in a in a contract year um, that he's got off to, to such a good start. Spoke about Newgarden. I think um, I think Pagano just couldn't for, for, for the life of me, and I've still not got to the bottom of this. I think I've I think I've kind of ascertained all of the kind of what's happened with strategy to all the drivers. But Pagano pitted on lap 16, which was three laps after the caution, but three laps before anyone else started coming to pit road. So I don't know if they thought there was going to be a caution coming out, and they tried to get ahead of it or what they were doing with that strategy, but. You know, the, you saw the guys who came in on lap 11, um, you know, Bordet finished fifth, uh, VK sixth, and uh, Ray Hall was obviously seventh. So, you know, that that pitting under that caution at the start was the almost the ideal strategy for anyone outside the top 10. But Pagano seemed to pit under green on lap 16, which to me was just, uh, I have no idea why that happened. Um, and his pace wasn't particularly fantastic through the race either. So for someone who needed a, a real bounce back, 2021 after a really you know troublesome 2020 where he really struggled with the understeer from the from the aero screen that was quite a disappointing start for him and McLaughlin was obviously caught up on that horrible three stop strategy and you know I think I'll take what you said actually um, about the, the expectations on McLaughlin because I think that's been part of maybe why we're maybe um, you know interpreting his result quite harshly as a 14th not being good enough because I, I kind of share that with you and that was my immediate reaction after the race as well and you know I think when people like Pagano are saying you know McLaughlin will definitely win a race this year you know that is expectation of the highest level and you know people have repeatedly said that he's going to be a future champion and I wonder if there's just been a bit too much pressure put on him early on but you know we saw him in St. Pete and he just wasn't a factor there um, you know he just wasn't a factor at all and really struggled ended up in a crash and you know, he, he didn't look like a future champion or someone who was, you know, going to be a, a regular top five finisher in IndyCar. But then, you know, I feel like this weekend he's he's looked like a top 10 car and he's looked like a top 15 car. And I think if the strategy had gone his way, I think you could say that about a few drivers. But I think if the strategy had gone his way, he was quick enough to warrant being in the top 10. And, 
that's my interpretation of where his pace is kind of at. So I think there's too much expectation been put on him and there will be again at St. Pete because it's the only race he's done before. So people are immediately going to expect more from him there as well, but we'll see how they get on. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a whistle stop tour of, of those uh, kind of two teams, I think. And, you know, I was really, um, you know, really surprised, at, you know, with Ganassi being the team that I was expecting to maybe struggle in the first part of the season as they kind of tied everything together. In fact, their newest driver, banged in the win and the other two teams are the ones that struggled. So I guess that's IndyCar for you. Yeah. I, I mean, the only thing I have to add there is Pagano is almost more invisible than Scott McLaughlin this weekend. And it was super <laughs> disappointing to see, but we'll, uh, I'll, I'll let Matt move on to our, our last point before we look at our predictions and move on. All right. Well, host, who yes. is your, uh, who was your driver of the day? Driver of the day. Well, I mean, I don't want to, I, I feel bad picking the obvious one. So I'm, I'm going to go with Will Power. He's started the year slow the last couple of years and hasn't really, luck hasn't gone his way. And, and if he had another lap or two or a little bit more fuel, I, I think it would have been, you know, right down to, you know, a, a photo finish. So I'll give I'll give Will Power the driver of the day for starting out the weekend strong or starting out the year strong. Sorry, Jack. Who was your driver of the day? Uh, I think Power would be quite high in my rankings as well, but he wouldn't get it because he made the mistake at turn four late on, and that's what stopped him from <laughs> catching Plo, even though he had all the push to pass. So I think he was imperfect in that sense. So I'm not going to go with him. Um, who's my driver of the day? You put me on the spot here, guys. Anyone listen to the podcast? They didn't tell me they were going to do this, so this is quite. Uh, <laughs> It's quite a difficult one. What? I think um, I think anyone um, anyone who did that strategy who pitted on lap eleven pulled off a, a brilliant race. Um, you know, Borde and VK and, and Ray Hall as well. And I think I'll go with VK as my driver of the day, um, just to go a bit left field because uh, oh. I think um, when you consider the crash he had a, in the Indianapolis Open Test last week, and he's broken his finger, so he's already driving with a broken finger. He was on the grass at the second corner uh, on the first lap. Um, he was totally sideways in the crash that Newgarden started and basically in the middle of all the debris and everything going on there. There's a great picture if you've not seen it. It's on Renus's uh, Twitter account where it's just a picture of uh, Polo taking um, turn five, that'll be, um, and the rest of the field kind of generally pointing in the right direction. And then there's just a kind of carnage shot in the background where VK's totally sideways and the rest of the cars are just kind of going off in different directions. So I think that picture... Um, if you had showed me that picture and told me that VK was going to finish sixth at the end of the race, I'd have laughed at you, um, especially given the circumstances of his finger and um, everything that was going on there. So great strategy call by the team. Surprised, I'm surprised every car outside of the top 10 didn't pit on that first caution because um, it just seemed like a no-brainer to me watching it from the outside. But obviously it's difficult when um, you're in the heat of the moment and these teams have got a guard against all sorts of different things happening. It's, it's easy for me to sit on my couch and say, why aren't you pitting? But... You know these guys are considering all different, um, all different things, and have all the data at their at their disposal. So, you know, it turned out that a few drivers didn't think it was worthwhile. But I think Bordet and VK proved that that was kind of the the strategy of the day for anyone outside of the the top ten at the start. So, yeah, I'll go with VK. It's just a bit of a left field option to make the podcast a bit more interesting for you guys. I like it. Yeah, there's another uh, dunk on me moment because uh, again, it's only been one race, but I had Ed Carpenter Racing as the worst team in the the series. Uh, coming into the year and here they are 
uh, well, I guess VK did good and Connor faded pretty bad. I don't know what happened there, but my driver, I'll go ahead and give Alex all the love. Uh, congrats on his first career win. He, uh, he was just kind of fast all weekend. There, there wasn't really kind of a weak moment for him or anything like that. He just was just kind of consistently good. And if this is a sign for what's to come, uh, maybe Chip Ganassi has finally gotten this number 10 seed figured out for the first time since 2011. So uh, really good for them and really good for the team. What about your uh, – we'll start with Jack on this one. Who was your big disappointment of the day? Oh, just on Palou, I've got to say um... – I think he was motivated by the fried chicken that he got <laughs> that he got after he won the race. I think that was the whole motivation for the win. I think he's he spun this elaborate web of um, you know I'm a hardworking guy from Spain who's you know fought my way up without a budget and you know got all the way to IndyCar and I always wanted to drive a Chip Ganassi since I saw a documentary on TV years ago and number ten was my carting number and this whole thing is so perfect. I think that's just nonsense. I think he just wanted the fried chicken. I um, believe it. Yeah. See, hot take. There you go exclusive to pit lane parlay there you go i'll um disappointment of the day uh i think that's a tough one there's quite there's there's a few candidates even though it was quite a it felt like a quite a positive race i think i'll go with andretti because i was just can i go with the team is that allowed is that within the yeah. pit lane parlay rules good. or there's no rules yeah. here uh no rules that's what i like yeah, the, the Andretti guys, I think uh, I was just expecting so much from them. And, you know, there's been so much talk from Rossi over the offseason about this season being a bounce back year for him and one that, you know, last season globally sucked and all that kind of stuff. And just expected quite a lot from them, given, you know, their road course form in the second half last season was was pretty sensational. And, you know, there's just seems to be so much trending in the right direction for them this season. And, um, you know, just really couldn't couldn't deliver on on many different fronts, I think. Probably the only one who's been judged quite harshly in all this is Hunter Ray, who was caught up in that crash. But the, the reason he qualified so far back was a, a, a drive shaft issue and a few other lingering issues as well. So a bit unfortunate for him. But yeah, I think disappointment in this sense, not necessarily totally critical of Andretti because I think a few things are out of their control, but it was just disappointing to not see them, you know, be fighting at the front because, you know, for, for somebody who's watching from the outside and pretty unbiased, I just want to see the best teams and the best drivers fighting at the front and, and making a real entertaining show and I think it would have been quite a bit more entertaining if you had the likes of you know Herta coming from ninth and don't forget Herta started on the on the harder tire as well so he was on a, a totally different strategy from the start and that was another thing we were robbed with of, of Newgarden as well because those two were both you know on the alternate strategy so that you know think about the number of strategies we got by the end of the race um, and throw those two in who would have been on a different strategy as well you know that would have been phenomenal to see so yeah that'd be my disappointment of the day. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. 
That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. I like it. Well, I am going to take, I kind of alluded to him a couple minutes ago, Simon Pagino didn't really have the speed in practice in qualifying and probably would have finished like 15th or 16th if, if five guys weren't kind of collected early on in that accident. So Simon just kind of had a blah weekend. Yeah, that's well said. I <laughs> uh, guess I'll take the uh, other low hanging fruit in uh just the new garden obviously uh, especially one thing i didn't allude to earlier is that joseph Newgarden practically owns barber this is maybe without a doubt his maybe other than iowa which is now no longer on the schedule obviously this is probably his best track and so that kind of further adds to the head scratching error that he had just because he's done so well here uh in in the past years that it's just kind of one of those where when it comes to like fantasy indie cards one that floats to the top to picks so i'm assuming there was a lot of frustrated fantasy indie car owners out there this uh weekend when they saw yep crash and then i'm assuming a bunch of people had like herda and maybe had hinge she was also collected things like that so pretty unfortunate also i guess i kind of we kind of glossed over felix rosenquist had a pretty poor weekend too with uh, the crash in practice the spin and qualifying and then the race, which was no fault of his own, but still just not the best start for him either. So hopefully he bounces back well. We have to now roast ourselves on our predictions. I had Joseph Newgarden doing well. Oops. Yep. Oops. That's a you can you can roast me on that as well because uh, yeah, on on the races IndyCar podcast, I, I picked Newgarden to to win the race as well. <laughs> well, big oops for us. Mike had Pato, so well done on that one. That's a great one. Good job. Thank you. Uh, who do we who do we think? I mean, suck? he finished fourth. But you're, it, gonna cel- you're gonna celebrate Mike finishing fourth. That's uh, just Jack. You know, before we started hitting record, <laughs> we talked about how bad my predictions usually are. So this this is like a this is like a, a home run for me. Yes, and Mike's pick didn't spin and crash like eight cars. So that is way ahead of me. I'll say. <laughs> So, yes, Mike, I'll give you a pat on the back for that one. Who sucks? So since we don't know who is going to be good or bad because it's early on in the year, we could pick anybody. So I picked Dalton Kellett, too easy. And then Mike had Connor Daly. And that was also a good pick because Connor started well on the first stint. And then I think he was saying the car had a lot of trouble kind of with heavy fuel loads, which is a reason that he couldn't make that three-stop work. Uh, so he faded through the field pretty dramatically and was the last car in the lead lap to finish. So tough day for Connor. So I think we both get a pat on the back for that one. Yep. Dark horse. I had Marcus Erickson pretty proud of myself for that one. Um, interesting to see what he would have done if he didn't have to save so much fuel. Cause I do think he could have potentially made Paddle's life a little more difficult, but Still, uh, a good weekend for him overall. I know his final finishing position wasn't what he may have hoped for, given how the race was going. But still, uh, you can't be anything but uh, impressed with how he raced. And then you had Ed Jones. 
who, as we mentioned, I'm not Man. sure his name was mentioned at all. No, he was on the three. He was on the three stop. So he was another one who was ruined by that three stop. And also, he was one of the furthest starting back who was on that three stop. So it made his race look even worse. Yeah, it was. It was blah. Blah. So we'll move on to a quick St. Pete preview. And obviously that means we're going to put Jack on the spot for predictions on this as well. So reminder, the St. Pete race last year, which was the wild race at the end of the year where the pace car ran out of fuel. Uh, New Garden won. Pato was second. Scott Dixon was third. Sebastian Bourdais was fourth and Hunter Ray was fifth. So I'll start with Jack on this one. After one race, who needs to bounce back the most and, and have a strong showing this weekend? I think uh, that in, in what context is it just, um, you know, for their future or just for, you know, purely just because they need to have a good result for the championship or, or is, is there no context and I could just say whatever I like? You could say whatever you'd like. All right. I think... Felix Rosenquist needs to have a very strong weekend um, based on the things that you you guys kind of alluded to earlier. Um, you know, he had the crash in practice one in the pits, which was embarrassing. Um, the crash in qualifying, which was probably even more embarrassing because he was already through to the to the top 12 and then, and then threw it off, which then cost him his time because that's the IndyCar rules. So, you know, with Zach Brown there at Barber, um, avoiding Imola to go all the way to Barber to see his new, you know, his shiny new signing. Uh, bin the car twice and then be involved in a first lap crash because he qualified so far back um, was was extremely disappointing and and that's coming for someone who you know I rate Felix very highly I have done since before he came to IndyCar and uh, followed him quite regularly when he was in Europe and you know really really high uh, expectations for him and I think that's what it is it's high expectations I don't think it's overly critical for me in this sense, just, uh, you know, I think Felix will be feeling exactly the same way and expects just as much for himself as, as someone like me might. Um, but yeah, I think Hertz is the other one who's really got to have a bounce back weekend and I think it'll be easier for him. I think, um, you know, obviously he had the crash in practice, which was a bit of a, a bit of a brain fart, but you know, I think the, the pace was there for him for most of the weekend. Um, yeah, I think it, it, it wasn't perfect by all means, let's say that, but I think a lot of people have picked him to be a championship contender this year and, and step it up and, if he's going to do that, he definitely needs to not have another weekend so far down. Cause you know, the, you know, we, we talked about new garden earlier and yeah, yeah. You know, it's probably a bad time to kind of allude to it because he's just made a mistake, but you know, these, these guys, new garden Dixon, they, they eat top fives for breakfast. So, <laughs> you know, that this is what their championships are built on is uh, consistently bagging top fives. And one of the reasons why awards weekend was so impressive as well um, to go off on a tangent because that, he had a slow puncture in the first stint. That's why he pitted so early on, on lap 19. And, you know, I think that really ruined his race because he was on the three stop, but how he reacted to that. Um, all right. He was a bit angry on the radio for the rest of the race. And he, he shouted, I feel like a turtle while he was sat behind Renus VK, which was my radio highlight of the barber weekend. <laughs> um, I'm a turtle. I'm a turtle. Um, but apart from kind of being quite aggressive on the radio, he drove the wheels off the thing and, turned an adverse situation into a top five, which is exactly what the, the best drivers do. And that's how they win championships. So yeah, I think, I think Herta needs to bounce back with a strong result and there's every chance he'll, he'll do it in St. Pete. I was going to say Herta again, it's, it's nothing that happened, I guess maybe a better qualifying spot, but other than that, nothing he could have done in lap one would have saved him. So it's just kind of 
bad timing, but like Newgarden, he should be a protagonist in the championship as long as Andretti Autosport has their ducks in a row this year. So um, for someone who's had a really good track record on road courses and specifically street courses, I think he should hopefully have a strong showing this weekend. So I'm going to go, I don't know if this is like a hot take or anything, but I'm going to go with Alex Rossi just because the three-stop strategy clearly didn't work for him and he, he couldn't get the tires in. And I get that, but he he was so good all weekend and the race was was not necessarily his fault, but didn't go his way. And he's going into a track where he should have won last year or should have at least finished on the podium and crashed out on his own. So I think he needs to have a really strong weekend there, which leads me to my next question before we get to our, our last question before we get to our, our predictions. And I'll start with Matt on this one. Matt, do you think that Andretti Autosport will bounce back because they were so dominant at St. Pete in 2020? I think all but Hinch finished in the top 10 or top 12 at least. Yeah, Rossi crashed in the lead, but obviously. Oh, yeah, had- yeah, my bad he had the field covered for sure prior to that. So wasn't, Hinch, it, Hinch had that Hinch had that weird spin as well. Where he yeah. Was, well, he uh, basically yeah, yeah. kind of ruined everybody's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I don't, oh, man, that was, I remember ranting about that on the podcast, how shameful that was. I mean, cause as much grief as we gave new garden for Barber and as other people gave new garden on social media, at least new gardens was on in green flag conditions. So Hinch last year, that was just unacceptable in every sense of the word. So it's kind of a complicated question, given what we saw this weekend. I mean, on paper, you, you would say yes, but I am curious to see if the strides Ganassi made in the off season that was shown at Barber is also going to translate to the street courses, which, um, you know, we don't know what the schedule is going to quite look like uh, for the rest of the year. Obviously, the world's still in a little, little bit of a flux with that kind of stuff. So I don't know how many street courses we'll end up going to this year. Uh, but I do think, given their pace last year, we still should expect some good things out of Andretti Autosport. But they may need to obviously watch out for Ganassi and Penske. So given that, I don't think they'll be the strongest team uh, this weekend in St. Petersburg. It's so tough, isn't it? Because you've got basically 12 cars there from the top teams. So, you know, the chances of them all performing to the level you expect is just basically impossible, isn't it? Because the 12 of them never lock out the top 12. So uh, it's it's really tricky. But I think Andretti showed a lot last year. They showed they showed a lot of pace and there was just some stupid errors in that race. Um, emphasis on on stupid, really, because pretty much all the ones I remember were, were pretty bad, as we've already discussed. So I think, um, you know, they, they kind of, I think they, they need to be good. They need a, a good, strong weekend to bounce back because they've spent a, an off-season kind of festering, um, you know, knowing that their first half of last season was so bad and that there was not a lot they could do about it at the time. Um, and then they've gone into the off-season with all this motivation and all this promise and hope that 2021 was going to be the complete opposite. And it's it started exactly like... 2020 started for them really um, at Texas. So I think, yeah, I think more than anything, it's just important for them mentally and for, from a motivational point of view for them to to really just have um, at least a couple of cars, you know, well inside the top 10 this weekend. 
Agree. So it's prediction time, and Jack, we will put you on the spot, but I'll give you a little uh, advanced notice here. We're going to do good prediction, bad prediction, and dark horse top 10. So still early in the season, pretty much anybody's in play for anybody, any of these categories. Dark horse top 10 is somebody who doesn't typically finish in the top 10, but you think could sneak in there this weekend. But we'll start with good predictions and this isn't necessarily race winning but it's just having all around good weekends so jack i'll let you go first on this one uh, it's 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 going to be tricky because there's going to be a lot of expectation on all day after the weekend he's just had in barber obviously you know phenomenal in the in the past one those two races in a row at saint pete so i think you know he's going to be definitely going to be one to watch um i don't think i would pick him as a winner because i don't think i don't think you know, at least looking at Barber anyway, that Foyt's qualifying performance is up to scratch. Um, and I know for a fact that Bordet, um, at least the team think that Bordet, um, you know, really uh, pulled out all the stops in that race and, and drove basically beyond what they had. Uh, I think they were all, you know, I think that was a vintage Bordet performance that the team were kind of, uh, there was a bit of realisation in Foyt, like, wow, okay, this is the guy we've signed. This is what he can do. So I think, um, you know, uh, we don't want to celebrate a fifth, but that was a, a considering he started 16th, you know, it was a, a brilliant run for Bordet. And obviously that trends into St. Pete where he's been so successful in the past. So I don't think they'll win because I don't think they'll qualify well enough, but I think, I think Bordet is going to be a factor in the race. And especially knowing that, you know, Foyt can be quite strong on the, on the, on the strategy. Um, at least since Bordet's got there, they've been quite clever with it. He finished fourth at, at St. Pete last year with Foyt. So, you know, I think he's going to be trending uh, pretty strong. And I think there's a good chance he'll, you know, maybe even be top three by by the end of St. Pete. These are going to be tough this year, just given how the depth of the field is. I think Borde is a great pick. I had to readjust my fantasy lineup accordingly because I kind of forgot that he's been so strong in St. Petersburg. I'm going to stick with the hot hand and go with Palo. I do think he's going to capitalize the momentum from uh, the last race and kind of use that as a building block for maybe a potential top five championship run and kind of what I alluded to with the Andretti Autosport question is I do think Ganassi as a whole should definitely be stronger this season, which is, you know, they're already a strong team. So the fact that they're getting stronger should be scary for the rest of the field. So I, I do think Polo uh, should have a, a pretty good weekend if he can, you know, keep the wheels on it. I like it. So I, I'm going. I know this goes against every grain of my prediction, lack of skills. And like I said to Jack, every time before we recorded, every time I pick this guy, he has a bad weekend. Don't but do I it. have to. I I have to do it at least once in the beginning of the year every year. So I am going to take willpower and apologize in advance for whatever mechanical gremlin he has two thirds of the way through the race. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we're going to scroll down here to bad predictions. I'll go with Matt first on this one. I can't pick Kelly two, week two weekends in a row, right? That's like got to be against yeah, some yeah, that's sort not of rule. Fair. Yeah, that's that's just mean. I think VK may have had a good showing in Barber, but for some reason I'm having a gut feeling that something might go wrong for his race, um, especially since I still don't have that much faith in Ed Carpenter racing. So, uh so I think, you know, something might happen to him that's completely out of his control, not saying he's going to do something himself, but St. Pete has its tendencies to throw a lot of drivers. So 
Uh, I re- really respect Renus. He's a lot of fun to watch, but I think something might go wrong for him this weekend. I'll go. Can I pick the the pace car? <laughs> <laughs> or Santino Frucci? Oh, oh. oh. <laughs> I haven't heard his or, name in a while. Or yeah, I'm just I'm just joking. I'm just uh, I'm just mentally going through the order of what happened in last year's race. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think I'll sadly go for Connor Daly because no matter how much staring at the American flag is going to make his mullet look good. I just think he's probably not going to go that well at St. Pete. I think he struggled a few times there in the past. And I think, as you mentioned, um, Ed Carpenter went fantastic at, at St. Pete last year. So I'll go with, uh, I'll go with Connor Daly. Cause I, I'm also a bit kind of unconvinced by Barber for, for Connor as well. Cause there was times where he was kind of looked like he was making a bit of a play and then, uh, he really seems to struggle on on high fuel, um, which I don't know if that's going to be like an undiagnosed issue that the team find this week or or what. But you know, obviously, Renus went from basically being in a crash on the first lap to finishing sixth, and obviously, Daly wasn't um, able to to match anywhere near that pace. So I think they'll probably be scratching their heads this week trying to work out what's happened there. But go, going off last year, and I remember Daly being quite unimpressive, unfortunately, for for him at St. Pete. So I'll go with him. Well, I guess I can't pick one of the Ed Carpenter guys. And that was really what I wanted to do here. So I, I'm i going to continue ragging on him this week and say that Simon Pagino has a, has a bad weekend part two since I can't pick one of the Ed Carpenter guys. Just, I don't remember. I think he finished like eighth or ninth there at the end of the year last year. So sixth. Six, thank you. So, you yeah, not awful, but I'm I'm just gonna keep I'm just gonna keep on the Pagano train here. Things had to happen though for that six to happen, just because I feel like something kind of happened to everybody that was ahead of him at some point. So it was like he was like te- he was like he was tethered six. Like yeah, right. People people were <laughs> people even behind him were moving forward, and people ahead of him were moving backwards, and he was just like in sick for the whole race. I think that was that was my recollection of Pagano in that race. Yeah, just so much happened in that race that some of the guys maybe got to benefit a little bit more than they should have on paper. So, um, yeah, but I, <laughs> yeah, maybe Pagano does well and willpower sucks. That's probably what's going to happen to you, Mike. Yeah. Most, most likely the case. All right. Dark horse top 10. So we're going to keep this one open-ended and because you guys have gotten to go first the whole time, I'm going first on this one and I am going to take dark horse top 10. Is Jack Harvey a dark horse for a top 10? He was the last car in the lead lap, if I remember rightly, last year at St. Pete. So I think okay. that can be allowed. I think that could be allowed. Yeah, I'm going yeah, Jack Harvey. One of the victims of Hinch's nonsense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got. He, I think he was the guy who directly got hit by Hinch. Yeah. Which, you know, because that, that was like right after Rossi crashed too. It was kind of a, a terrible couple laps there for Andretti. And then her, didn't her to get like wrecked on the restart or something? Uh, I don't remember. There's so much that happened last year in that race that I can't put two and two together of what was last year. I'm st- I'm still since since Matt mentioned Polo, I'm still desperately trying to remember what happened to him in that race because at one point Newgarden passed Polo and Herta for the lead, and then yes, Polo Polo ended up twelfth and uh, and did five pit stops. So I'm desperately trying to recall why <laughs> he did more pit stops than everybody else and went from basically the top three to, to be in 12th uh, and, it, and it's escaping me at this moment in time, but 
I'll tweet it to you guys when I remember. Sounds good. I'm going to go hot take and I'm going to stick on the St. Pete is going to be crazy theme. And I'm going to say Jimmy Johnson. Oh, okay. And that is what? because I think <laughs> we, with what we saw last year, I have this gut feeling that St. Pete's going to be crazy again this year. And maybe it's just kind of an attrition thing where you just got to survive. So, you know, let's, let's spice it up a little bit and I'll go Jimmy Johnson. And I really enjoy having him in the series. All right, Jack, your pick. Uh, this is tough. The thing is, I, I kind of, I, I'm going off on the tangent again here, guys. Sorry, but I, I just, I struggle with dark horse because the, I know it's a cop out, but the field is so close and so competitive. Yep. You're not wrong. It's really tough. It's really tough to pick a dark horse because on any given weekend, you know, theoretically, 15 guys should be able to win a race, but. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I think um, I'll go I'll go Ryan Hunter Ray because I feel like he had so much bad luck over the course of last year. And he did have some stupid moments like when he span off the <laughs> at Iowa. The pit exit. Yeah. Twice. <laughs> not just not just the once, twice in the same place. You think, all right, mate, you've done made you you know, you've made the mistake once, but you managed to do it twice in the race, which was which was a bit unforgivable. But he had so many mechanical issues and you know, different, um, you know, strategies working against him last year, but, you know, he seemed to pick up a little bit, um, in fitting with Ryan Hunter eight, uh, it didn't get quite as much of a benefit in that kind of late run that most of the Adjeta cars got, but he still, um, uh, he still got a top five at St. Pete last year. So, um, I think he, I think he ran well. And I think as we've already alluded to, that was a crazy race and a lot of things had to happen for certain people to finish in certain positions there. But I, I think, I think Andretti is going to have a strong package. And I think, I think Ryan's going to be motivated by the fact that, you know, the aero screens basically just saved his life. Um, you know, he's, he's coming off the back of a really bad season. Barber was out of the race. And I think he's just going to hopefully hit the reset button and come to St. Pete where he knew, you know, where he knows he went well last year and, you know, pull out a bit of a, a strong performance. So it seems a bit odd for a, a series champion to be a dark horse, but that's kind of where we've got to with, with RHR, isn't it? He's just not quite, um, you know, a regular win threat or a regular top five threat anymore. But on his day, when the car's in the right place and he doesn't make any mistakes, he's a he's a strong contender. So I'll go with him as my dark horse. How yeah. many RHR is going to have like nine lives? Can we like discuss that for a second? <laughs> How many near misses has he had? I'm so thankful that he is like okay because between Barber, Wickens crash, Conway crash, um, which other he's been in a he's just been in a couple like really scary accidents and has i think he's seen like has he i don't think he's ever been injured not that i recall it's just uh, there's a couple i feel like i'm missing a couple um i can only ever go to the Cobway crash when hunter ray crash is mentioned because that one just kind of it's just one of those crashes that sits in the memory and kind of yep. uh, sticks with you in like a kind of creepy crawly kind of way just kind of like Right. Impen- impending fate you know that was a really scary one so you know was, my, my mind always goes back to that one with with rhr yeah i doubt that he's listening but ryan if you are listening i am so glad you're okay and i'm thankful that you're in the series because man it's just i don't know of a driver that's kind of like had these like such scary crashes where they've just walked away from all of them like he has and so seeing that footage that came out today from his onboard i was just like wow so yeah, let's give hats off to IndyCar this. And, yeah. Stole the words right from me. 
yeah, go but, the, but the but the aero screen's ugly, and you know it's not it's not real <laughs> racing, so we should get we should get rid of it. I Are saw... you looking at Twitter again? <laughs> I saw something as we as we started recording that said that the IndyCar, IndyCar and NASCAR should. This was Facebook, so this is especially bad. Oh, Indy, wow! IndyCar and NASCAR should like virtually just merge into one series because the IndyCar is essentially a NASCAR now. And I just put down my phone. I turned off Facebook. And- <laughs> I will just leave it at that, but we'll wrap it up there, guys. Jack, thank you very much for joining. I appreciate all of your insight, and uh, I did enjoy listening to you and and Jr. Hildebrand last week. Do you guys have an episode coming out one day this week? Yeah, hopefully Tuesday or Wednesday we'll okay. have a, an episode coming out. But yeah, we've got um, it's it's me, Jr. and and Lee Diffie joined us as well to, to talk a bit about the weekend. So so that's nice. pretty cool. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the race this weekend, Sunday at St. Pete is 12 Eastern, 1230 Eastern, I think. So a little bit earlier in the day and qualifying is Saturday at, I think, two o'clock to three o'clock. So enjoy the race. We'll be back next week to talk about our predictions and whatever else is going on in the news and guys enjoy the race. Today's podcast was presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. If you're a podcaster, you can apply too immediately and get connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Go to podgo.co at podgo.co and let them know that we sent you there. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.